boy, you guys were talkative last week. And we were going through this this story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? That's quite that was that was quite the story that God chose to use so that we could learn what he had in mind for us because you know this whole this whole book this whole all these writings you know are God's word to us right Mm -hmm. and so um, if you wanted to summarize and just recap the story of Ananias and Sapphira what would you say don't lie to God don't lie to God (laughs) okay don't lie to God that's a that's a great place that's a great place to start what else? What are some of the things you remember from the story from last week? That was last week. That was I know it was last week. <laughs> Pride goeth before a fall. Yeah, there's this interesting thing about sin and where that comes from and the pride, which is oftentimes at the root of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so they were so prideful and we think, I'm not sure what they were thinking, we're not told what they were thinking, we're only told what they did, but, but uh, boy, check your, check your pride. Check your pride. They sure wanted to look good, didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did that work out for them? Yeah. They wound up dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they were... hey, look, they are immortalized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I want my name immortalized that <laughs> I really appreciated the discussion last week relative to trying to uh, wrestle with, though, um, you know, one of the one of the big profound issues, uh, not perhaps for us, but it was certainly for them, because were these two. Uh, were these two believers? Were they, um, you know, I mean, that, see, because we're not told. And are we ever told of anybody in Scripture whether they're a believer? And do you know if anybody is a believer? No. no. See, that's the bigger, more profound question, isn't it? But, but we make these assumptions, don't we? Only God. Yeah, we make these assumptions. Mm-hmm. You would say yes. I would say Paul was a believer. Mm-hmm. There's evidence, but that wasn't the question. Well, he said the Bible doesn't say anybody is a believer. But well, did Paul say he was a believer? Yeah. Okay, he did. Have you said that you're one? Mm-hmm. Have I said that I'm one? Mm-hmm. Do you know if I am? No. No, but by your actions, you would pretty much everybody would <laughs> <Yeah>. out. There's <laughs> some <laughs> Even I wonder sometimes, but uh, but and, but that's kind of what I, I really appreciated. Even going along last week, because we were we were wrestling with that just a little bit. Ananias and Sapphira, because it's easy when we can push it out here, isn't it? But what we do is when we personalize these things, it takes on a different context. Um, because what we're doing is this, we're in the we're in the body of Christ. And I remember the study in First John, you know, where. Where John says, hey, they weren't of us. They were in the church, all right. And they looked like they were okay. And even though they were causing problems, because is there sometimes problems in the church? Do people always get along? Does everybody always agree? We're agreeing with you. Well, and the issue is, so here's the thank you. And so the issue, I, but don't agree with me. You know, we got to agree with Scripture. But, but I love the fact that we can wrestle with it. So 
And it's okay. That's that's kind of the point. It's okay to wrestle with these things. And uh, it's even okay not to have the answer. It's just okay. And so I don't know. I don't know what the hearts were of these two people. I only know what the outcome was. Well, Bill, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, there's no question, and it has nothing to do with an opinion. It's not, it's not subjective. Uh, it's purely objective, and the ob- objectivity is God's truth. And He says, you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, he says that, uh, uh, you know, it's not. It's enough to. It's not enough just to know what the truth is, but it's to. It's to apply the truth in everything that we do. You talked about it in the sermon, about everything that we do. Uh, we glorify God, whether it be in the church or the voting booth or wherever it is. We're to glorify God first and his truth. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, and he says in Matthew 10, 32, and I, you know, the covenant, like you said, the covenant is a one-way covenant. He's got the rights, we got the responsibilities. And he says, if you acknowledge me here on this earth, my truth... I will acknowledge you to my Father in heaven. But if you deny my truth, or you just look the other way and don't do anything, I will not acknowledge you to my Father. Those are pretty heavy words to me. And he says, don't judge the heart, judge the fruits. Yes. Powerful. I mean, it's, it's powerful. And, and I think, and I appreciate that, because what we have to do, I think, when we're studying, which is the great thing about studying God's Word, because there's so much depth, isn't there? And there's richness, and it's, it's profound in so many ways. And it's very simple in some ways, and yet in other ways, not so much. And by design, you see, God wants us to go deeper with Him, and deeper with Him. And I love the fact that we can have that dialogue, and we can communicate this way ab- around and about the truth <coughs> of God's Word. Because it's impactful. And I can tell you this about that. These two people were, uh, were before the leadership of the church and uh, in sin. And there was, we, we talked about whether or not this was God's judgment. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I can tell you this about that. That they came prideful and they, they sinned before God and were hypocrites before the church because you see being hypocritical always 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 involves somebody else doesn't it so when you're a hypocrite anybody has been there done that and when you're a hypocrite it always involves somebody else so you have you you have you have sinned against god you have sinned against others in this hypocritical state that we find ourselves in from time to time that's what happens and and uh, I, of course, I believe in judgment. They're dead. But that's powerful. And so we don't think about it that way sometimes because, uh, you know, could that be us? I love the personalized scripture. It always makes me want to ponder, whoa, how, how am I acting? How am I behaving? Am I honoring God with my thoughts, with my actions? Or am I just pulling a fast one on you? Better not be. <laughs> yeah, amen. <coughs> amen. Yeah. I see a lot of people that uh, believe that God is who they think He is, not who He says He is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, amen. 
And and how do they come up with that mostly? Yeah, well, when it meets their agenda, <laughs> they got they have God serving their kingdom, not a, not us serving His kingdom. And what a great segue into the next section of Scripture here in the book of Acts and this history that we're going to be taking a look at. And starting in Acts, uh, the fifth chapter and the twelfth verse was where we was where we ended up. Um, and uh, uh, I'm going to ask Susan because I know she's the one that has the NIV. And if you'll read out of that NIV um, <clears throat> and follow along in whatever um, whatever translation you have, but uh, we're going to read through. Uh, verses 12 all the way through 42. Let's read the whole story. Then we're going to come back and we're going to kind of unpack it, right? <laughs> Starting in, in verse 12 again. But if you'll read Acts 5, 12 through 42, let's listen to the entire story and then we'll come back and see what, if we can, uh, if we can interpret what we're being told here. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party, and the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Mm-hmm. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. (laughs) On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what come of this. And then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give Israel, 
Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. Where does God have a sense of humor? <laughs> <laughs> you know, last week I, I, was, uh, I, I mentioned... I think it was on Sunday that there's these parallels that are so fascinating to me as I've been studying this. Uh, what's happening in this in this religious political system in the first century, and what's happening in our political system in the 21st century? The parallels are just have just been so striking to me, so striking. So so back to to what Luke tells us now historically, what's happening in the church? He says in verse 12, the apostles. Had performed. Now remember, there was all this strife and all this stuff was going on, and Ananias and Sapphira just dropped dead after after hypocritically and pridefully, uh, you know, going before the church and uh, and not being too straight up about things. Uh, and and yet it says the apostles performed many signs and wonders. They just kept on going, didn't they? There's a, this first test in the church of something that was going to go down. There was this judgment that took place, and there was there was folks dead. They was done dead. And, 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 but it says that the apostles continued to perform many signs and wonders among the people. Nothing stopped. That's the first thing I see. Nothing stopped. And so, and so how were they doing these signs and wonders? That's a question. The power of the Spirit. These were Spirit-filled people performing signs and wonders. In regardless of the order of the Sanhedrin that told them not to, they were told not to. In fact, look at if you go back to 429, it should be on the same page. Here you are. Uh, Acts 429 says, Let me get there. Now, Lord, consider their hearts and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Remember, they prayed for boldness. They prayed for confidence. They prayed for the ability and the power of the Spirit to do these things. And it was simply an answer to prayer. They're continuing to do these things. That's where it came from. The prayer was answered in the affirmative. I like that. It was clear. It was obvious. It was profound. Sometimes my prayers don't get answered that way. Sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it's not obvious. And sometimes it's not profound. Sometimes it's wait. But not in this case. It said all the believers used to meet together. Where? Solomon's temple. And where is that? It's there in Jerusalem. 
And there's really something interesting here because he says, Luke, and how many of the believers would meet there? Many, it says. And when you're interpreting Scripture where you can interpret it in a literal sense, you must interpret it in a literalist, in a literal sense. And Luke says that, the, and there was a lot of believers. This was a very big place, wasn't it? And it was a very crowded place. And that's where all the Jews went at the time of prayer. And now, these early Jews were now believers, weren't they? There's a lot of Jews. The believers are Jewish at this point, And they're meeting all of them because there are these signs and wonders that are taking place amongst the people. And they're meeting at the temple. Then it says something very interesting in verse 13. What's happening in verse 13? No one else dared to join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Who was highly regarded by the people? Huh? The followers of all the believers were highly regarded, it says. That's the context of the sentence. But what, but, but what does Luke say? What's happening? All of a sudden here, in the temple. Added to their number. And while that was taking place, there was something else that was taking place in verse 13. Well, they were intimidated because of the, the Sanhedrin. Okay. They were afraid, you know, so no one, some were afraid. Okay, so they were, so you, so Kathy, you see fear. They were afraid. That's really interesting because it says that no one dared to join them and there was a, there was a fear. What does that tell us about what was happening with the, what was happening within the Jewish community? with all of this activity and Paul and John being arrested and there was there was a lot going on here. It was pretty visible, wasn't it? And why were they afraid? They didn't quite understand what was going on. Might not. Their faith was being shaken in their own Jewish traditions. Okay, and if it was fear-based, would you agree that it was fear-based? They, they didn't dare join them? They were highly regarded, but they didn't want to join them. So it's fear. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Or is it just Kathy's opinion? I think the question is, what were they afraid of? Okay, if they, if they were fearful, what are they afraid of? Persecution. Persecution. Punishment? Oh. Well, yeah, punishment was quite obvious. What was that? They were bucking the establishment. Okay, they're in the temple. They're in Solomon's colonnade, or how do you pronounce it? Colonnade. Oh. They're in the colonnade <laughs> there. And, and, they're, and they're doing this like real regular. And the Sanhedrin has already had a, had a word with them. And yet... Regardless of the fear of what reprisal, they, you talk about trend bucking. There were some bucking of the trend. 
question is, what were the apostles teaching that was bucking the trend? That Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the Messiah. And what would have been normal for them to be teaching at the temple? And I'm telling you what, to some of these people, this was a very foreign message. (coughs) To others, nevertheless, verse 14, nevertheless, it says, more and more men and women believed there were people coming to Christ regardless. So there were some that were gripped in fear, fear of the establishment. Okay, we're going to see this religious political system really take action because Susan just read it. It says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. As a result of what? Of the teaching, of the healing. of all the signs and the wonders and the healing and the teaching and there was a, this was a I mean there were miraculous things happening. The Holy, the Holy Spirit was alive and well. This was a radical thing, and that's the that's the idea. This was a radical thing happening in the temple, like they had never seen before. Totally out of the ordinary, totally against everything that the leadership was for, and there was fear. So apparently here, according to verse 15, apparently Peter's shadow had the, uh, had the power to heal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's what is apparent in the reading. Hmm. That's interesting. Is it? Well, that one woman that she just touched Jesus' yes. garment, the, yeah. the power went through her from just touching his garment. From his garment. And this scripture says that as a result of all these crazy things that were going on, whoo, crazy, it was crazy, Hadn't gone on in the temple before. Mm-hmm. It's going on now. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are coming to Christ. Thousands by this time. The church is exploding. And then it says that people even brought sick folks in. Even to just get into the shadow. Here's a wonderful, teachable moment biblically on how to read and interpret Scripture. Because what does that verse say? What else does it say? If you are a theologian and you are interpreting Scripture, what does verse 15 say? Translation other than the NIV, which is? I have the English Standard. Oh, ESV. Will you read verse 15 in the ESV? So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That is, Peter, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Okay. That's good enough. And somebody else have like a New King James or something else? Mark, don't you? Do you have electronic? Uh, yeah, but I just have an idea. Oh, you just well, have an idea in your electronic? Okay. Uh, I don't have. 
Do you have a New King James? Sally, would you read verse 15 in the New King James? So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. So it's really interesting. So let me repeat the question. So apparently Peter's shadow could heal people. What does it say? This is great. <clears throat> so the question is, does Peter's... When I first asked the question, there were several that said, no, apparently so. Peter's, Peter's shadow could even heal. But now there's a dissenter that says, well, that's not what it says. So all I'm trying to get at is the context and the words. Because we're theologians and we're studying. We're studying God's Word. The reason I am doing this is because, you see, as a student, I changed my mind about this. <laughs> oh, because I was troubled when I saw one word, and the one word was consistent in all the translations that I used. And the word that got me to really think about this and have to study a little further and a little deeper is the word might. So, probably true, Marvin, that these were people that in faith or maybe desperation. See, we got to be careful and that's my point. We have to be careful that we don't put, we don't spin our faith into what's being, what's being taught what we're being told. This is history. And Luke tells us that, man, there was a lot of pretty powerful things going on. Here's a paraphrase for you. There were powerful things going on. People were getting healed. And there were so many folks that were excited about that just on the chance that it might happen, that a shadow might possibly, I don't know. I'm going to take, take my sick relative there anyway. But it never anywhere says, and Peter's child healed people. Never says that. I'm telling you, I've been a student of the Bible for 21 years. And I'm studying this in depth for the very first time at this level of depth. And I read this and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I never considered the word might before. Ever. I was so excited to find out that I was... Really, I, th I think I was wrong. Because I just made the assumption that, no, I, I mean, there was so much power. You know, because I, I, knew, I know the scripture about Jesus' cloak. I know my own faith. I, I, but I read into something that it doesn't say. Because I never... I, was, I thought that was so cool that, you know, 20 years later, it was like, oh, good. Because I don't see it. Do you see it now? I don't see it. I don't see the. I don't see a shadow healing anybody. Hmm. I think it's human nature that uh, a lot of people there were 
Amen. And there's a lot going on here. This, this, all of this stuff that's happening here is pretty loaded. And we're just given, because this is history, we're just being told what was happening, but the words really matter. So what didn't they do? What didn't these people do? If they brought them just, if they were just desperate for healing, physical healing, and they were hoping that Peter's shadow might heal their relatives or even themselves somehow or another, what could they have done that they didn't? I find that fascinating because the, the, the verse right before says that some of them were, there was fear. They wanted the healing. I don't know how many were fearful. I don't know how many that came for healing were, were feel fearful. Maybe they were okay for physical healing, but they were in the temple for gosh sakes. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. They were fearful of what the repercussions might be from the authorities. Which authorities? The religious ones. This is church. It's fascinating. The crowds, verse 16, they gathered around also from the the towns all around uh, Jerusalem bringing all of their sick. And here's the next one. It says that they brought... Um, they gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. So now they were coming from out of town, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure, spirit, impure spirits. And all of them were healed. It doesn't, say any of, it doesn't say that all of them that got into the shadow of Peter were healed. It didn't say any of that. It said that all of them from the outlying towns that came in that were sick and tormented by impure spirits were healed. So we just have to read it for what it says. And that's the idea here, right? And so the next thing that happens, of course, is that now there are some repercussions for what's going on in the temple. 17. Then the high priest and all his associates. Don't you love that? (laughs) Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees. We know who the Sadducees are because we looked at that last couple of weeks were filled with jealousy. By the way, why were they jealous? Because their power was being taken away. Yeah. Their authority. They were what? Their authority. Yes, authority. They were, they were threatened because um, there was, uh, their, their authority structure was in question. Here, big time. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Again. <laughs> But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about his new life. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts. Church started pretty early, didn't it? At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. What do you see happening in those four verses? Obedience. Boy, that just hasn't changed since the Holy Spirit Obedience, 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 obedience. I love every bit of that. Historically, it gives me great comfort to know that the early church's posture was all about obedience. And we see Ananias and Sapphira, the first act of disobedience. The contrast is pretty stark. It's pretty stark. The historical context is pretty important here too, isn't it? Because there's a great deal of religious politics going on. 
here's where it starts to get pretty interesting in the story. Because what do we know about the Sadducees and the and the Pharisees? Anybody give anybody have an idea about the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and Rome? Just yes. historically? I read last year uh, Bill O'Reilly's book on killing Jesus, and they had a symbiotic relationship. The the Sadducees and Pharisees kept the people under control, and uh, and because of that, the Roman Empire gave them their standing. And what they couldn't control, they got the Roman the Roman people to enforce it, such as the crucifixion of Christ. But that was a symbiotic relationship. That you you as long as you keep these people in line, you can do whatever you want. But if they start to rebel, we're going to come down on you. And that's what happened in 70 AD. Yeah, exactly right. So what, what we see is we see religious, political um, implications here that's fascinating. Because you see, the Sadducees ran the temple. But the Pharisees ran the people. And Rome just didn't, wanted to make sure there was not going to be any insurgency. And the Rome said, you keep those Jews under control and we'll leave you alone. But as soon as they're not under control, off with your heads. And so what happened here is the Sadducees and the Pharisees with this, this relationship that they had, you know, they didn't really like one another too much. They didn't want They didn't, I wasn't going to use that word, but okay, I'll use it now that it's out. They hated one another, you see, because, and yet they needed one another. You see the politics involved here all of a sudden? This is the church, by the way. So we have the Sadducees controlling the temple. We have the Pharisees that are making sure everybody's complying with the law. And then we have Rome saying, keep them under control, keep them under control. And so the Sadducees, in order to maintain power, and by the way, their wealth, they were wealthy. I, I, I love every bit of that because it reminds me so much of the religious political system that we have in place even within Christianity today. So I'm reminded of the guy because I'm an airplane guy or at least used to be one. And so I remember the guy that was the TV guy and he, you know, and his jet skidded off the end of the runway and it was an old jet anyway. My guess is they probably did it on purpose because then he came out and he said, we just need to raise $65 million because he needed a Gulfstream. It's the same thing that's going on here. The Sadducees had, the, had the, the, the temple and the temple tax and everything was about the Sadducees, their power, their authority, their influence. And, and, and they hated the Pharisees because the Sadducees weren't so into complying with the law so much. They were, they were just, Jesus called, what did Jesus call them? Anybody remember? Vipers. Yeah. Vipers. Yeah. That was one term he used. What, what kind of bones? <laughs> Dead men. The parallels are... It's striking. It's striking. Because they got to make the rules, they got to control the people. And as long as the people were under control, the ultimate authority, Rome, who they were all having to bow down to, as long as all that was in place, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were... Sitting pretty. They were sitting pretty. Now, John and Peter are in the temple daily. They even went to jail. And an angel of the Lord comes. Somehow or another, the guards don't see him. That should sound familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh? And somehow they get out. And 
And then they, they're given an instruction, Olivia, and what did they do with the instruction from the angel? They obeyed it. Oh, man, every time. I mean, if we haven't learned anything from five chapters of Acts, the early church in the history of our church, obedience really pays, doesn't it? <laughs> and disobedience doesn't. It's fascinating. There's a whole study on this relationship, this symbiotic relationship, as, as John puts it, between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and Rome. The politics that had been in, in, ingrained into the religious system was so systemic that it was almost impossible to be broken. And now you have a handle on what's going on in the temple with, with John and with Peter and with the thousands that the Holy Spirit is bringing to the Lord. It's huge. It's not just people coming up for an altar call. It's way, way bigger than that. Now, granted, there are people being saved it, during this time. Okay, That's very important. But, but in, the, in the system that had been so ingrained for decades, centuries, in the system of the church, you can relate to that better than anybody sitting in this room because you were involved in a group like that. This is a woman that came out of Mormonism where everything is, happens from the temple. And, and, and even there's even revelation from a latter-day point of view to, to justify the changes that are being made. See, that's the same thing that was going on with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Whatever they had to do to control the people is what they did. Oh, big time. <laughs> and they never had that many people pouring into the temple. No. <laughs> they had to get this thing stopped. Why did they have to get it stopped? The Romans would have their heads. They were doomed. They had set their own. They became their own straw men all of a sudden because the system was so failed because it was without the truth. The Messiah came, and Peter's just saying, if "You killed him <laughs> for the third time, you know." And wait till wait till Stephen gets done with them in the next chapter. But but he says he was bold. He prayed for boldness. He was given boldness. They're preaching, and, and the angel even told him, "Go back to the temple. Go back to the temple. Go back to the temple." It was daybreak, and they were at the temple. Early church days. It's awesome. So then, when the high priest and his associates arrived, associates is an English word, but. When, when they arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin again, which was the full assembly of all the elders in Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles, and of course we know what happened, right? But this is, yes, yeah, surprise, but this is serious business because, you know, it's, it's like we said last week, this is a joint session of Congress plus the mafia, and guess what? The whole assembly was there because this is serious. It's really serious business. And they were just about to attempt to intimidate these people because why did they need to intimidate them? They need to shut it down. What did the Sanhedrin need the apostles to do? They just arrested the two of them. There were thousands of people around, but they arrested. What did the Sadducees and the Pharisees, what did the Sanhedrin need the apostles to do? 
Cease and desist. That's right. That they'd already told him to do that. All right. That's right. Because you see, their their politically religious system was being was was being weakened. You know, it's it's all of a sudden on three legs, and they realize it. Every in every conceivable way, this threat now has become incredibly real. And when Peter told them, "Listen, you killed Jesus," I, I'm not so. I don't know what they were thinking, but I'm thinking that they might have been thinking. It's possible that they were thinking, "Holy moly, maybe we're next," because they were fearful of Rome. And so it says, "But in arriving, we know what happened." They weren't there at the jail. They were at a loss. Wondering what this might lead to, it says. <laughs> I think they were more fearful than the apostles, like I said last week, because there was a there was a tomb where, you know, Jesus was buried and three days later they couldn't find the body. And this is all taken after so they're thinking, hey, there's some, cr- you know, we, we went from a bunch of cowards to people that will say anything and, and are in our face now, and and the tomb is empty, so, you know, they would admit it, but deep down inside, they knew that they had credibility, because the body was gone. That's okay. what our whole faith is based on. Amen. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, you're right, God has both a sense of humor and he, and he is dead serious with these people because all of a sudden they're not in jail and they had guards 24-7 and nobody, the guards didn't see them get out. So somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, God performed this miracle and told them to go back to the... And where were they when they couldn't find them? Right back where they told them not to go. <laughs> I think that, that's fascinating to me. And so they were wondering what it might lead to. Well, what was it going to lead to? Because who were the who were the apostles to the to to the Sanhedrin? What did they represent? A threat. A threat. This was war. This was war. And so now all of a sudden they're they're seeing this war. And now there's these two guys that got out of jail. They got out of jail free. And and, and they're remembering what happened with Jesus because it wasn't that long ago. And and uh, see the parallels here in their lives, holy smokes! They're all of a sudden thinking that this is now it's really serious business. And then it says, then someone came and said, "Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people." At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles, probably politely at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it, you notice that they didn't drag them; they just brought them in, and they didn't use any force because what? They all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the fear shifts. Yeah. Now the people in the temple aren't afraid. All of a sudden, the Sanhedrin is afraid. God flips it. I love everything about that because that's the way we need to inform the world about Christ Jesus as Lord. You see, because the way the world views everything, that is a worldview, not a biblical worldview, is like upside down to the way God has designed things, right? Because the world tells us it's all about us. That's what the Sanhedrin was thinking. It's all about us. We've got to protect our... We've got to protect everything about... They were even protecting... The, 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 the Sadducees were even trying to protect the Pharisees even though they hated them. Because now all of a sudden there's fear the whole thing is going to collapse. Because they had an enemy 
that they couldn't defeat. See, they killed Jesus. And now there's these people. Now they got a big problem. See, they thought they, they, thought they solved the easy problem. Yeah. We killed Jesus. Yeah. They knew they killed Jesus. But they don't want to accept that. Of course they don't want to accept it because their kingdom is about to, about to crumble. They don't want to accept the consequences of it. You see, because it wasn't about religion. They were religious. See, and Christianity and religion are just going kabang. It's a huge, huge explosion of what's happening in the early church. This is our history as a church. And so now they were in fear. It had shifted. Wow. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be a question by the high priest. Again. They're trying to figure this out. They didn't have a plan. They were making it up, I think, as they were going because they were this it's getting critical now it's 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 critical mass he said man we gave you strict orders there's something really significant in these in this in this verse verse 28 we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name he said yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood huh well they are what yeah but what what are they? What are they unable to say right here? That what? His name. They can't say his name. You see the other parallel to the 21st century? Oh my gosh! We got to call it something different. We we can't we can't just be honest with the people. We we can't we can't. I'm not even gonna. I'm not. I, I refuse to be specific about what I'm referring to in the 21st century that's in the news all the time that the right and the left fight about. But it's the same issue. They can't say the name. We tolerate every sin in America there is except Jesus Christ. Oh, amen. Amen. I, it's, you see, the guilt of, on these people, was, it's, it's, it's imputed guilt here because they killed Jesus. Because they got an enemy that all of a sudden in their minds isn't Jesus anymore. Because he's dead. Yeah. But this is out of control. This is out of control all of a sudden because now there's, there's thousands of people. They killed one man and now it's turned into thousands. They, they have no solution for this. They're scrambling like crazy. Peter and the other apostles replied, we've got to obey God. We can't obey you. Hmm. Comments, anyone? Interesting. You know, the first great lie of Satan was, if you eat this fruit, you'll be just like God. The second great lie is, you can't mix religion and politics. (laughs) And I think this chapter illustrates it very well. It's a clear indication of the history of the church when, the, when, when, you know, the church is being birthed here, and they're just in the in the throes of of just sharing the truth. You see, because Christianity had the truth, but religion had something entirely different. Religion had the politics. Careful, twenty first century church. You know, we've had a lot of years since the church was birthed here 
And is there politics in the church today? Oh, you better believe it. Of course there is. All man-made. Isn't it? It's all of man. I don't know, guys. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, first century church history, God wrote this for a very specific reason. We're sitting here 21 centuries later and we're looking at parallels. I mean, direct parallels, just in our political system, what's going on. And yet, I can tell you that in the church today, there is just as much politics as there was in this first century situation. Yeah, with you don't religiosity. see religious persecution going on in America today. You're just not paying attention. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. He then says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Yikes. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given those who obey him. Obey, obey, obey. Love that. Yet so we have this reminder of, wait a minute, who's Peter talking to? The entirety of the religious authority is listening. That was 72 men. And they're listening to Peter say, remember? He tells them again. But you killed him. He preaches the gospel to him again. Hmm. See, these were the, these people that he was talking to were the professional theologians of the day. I have to go back because I always like to go back and forth between the first century and the 21st. The first and the 21st. You know, and I can go and I can turn on my television and I can see some of these same people. The professional theologians of the day that espouse all this stuff and then tell you that and if you'll just send me some money I'll give you a prayer shawl. Or if all I need, all we need is 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 $60 million for the Gulf Stream. And uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're speaking not from the truth. So, he never had a debate with them, though. Peter didn't have a debate. Kathy? Well, I think there's some similarities, but I think there's a lot of differences between the first century... Uh, religiousness in Israel versus in the Western world that we know, you know, of Europe and America and stuff. So there are just differences. I mean, there isn't an infighting between Christians. Like, there's not. I mean, this is kind of Israel versus other Jewish. I mean, this is Israel's, like you're saying there religious authority versus this this new sect that's beginning out of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And there's not like an infighting, I don't think, between, say, like Catholicism and Protestantism. I mean, there's not this hatred, persecution that's going on between the two of them. So There's not? No, I think there is. I don't think Catholics are killing Protestants. Oh no, 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 no. No, I'm just not that. Um, well, they might be. I'm not exposed to it. But, but, but my question is, is that uh, I um, I see the differences, and I'm wondering about the similarities um, because 
we're, because we, we have this Western sense of Christianity and, and uh, re- religiosity, don't we? Okay, we're the church. And, but you said that the church isn't fighting, isn't fighting one another. Is that true? I don't think there's a persecution. Really? You say yes, there is. Well, let's, let's follow this up because this is good. In what in what sense? Some of the churches are are um, wanting to accept gay marriage and a lot of other stuff, and when you don't, you're pers- you're persecuted as a Christian because they say the Bible doesn't say that. You're a bad person. You should just take these people. Okay, but she says they're not, we're not killing one another. No, we're not killing. Okay, but there's still persecution going okay. on. Okay, it doesn't have to be killing. Okay, John. We're killing the truth. Okay, okay. Who's killing the truth? People that aren't believers. Oh, okay, but we're talking about the church because we're talking about Christianity and religion coming to to blows here in the first century. I'm suggesting there are similarities, John. Well, the two greatest things that I feel have changed our culture from a Christian nation to a secular nation uh, are not a lot of problems with religion. There's a big, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't believe in religion either. I hear people say, I don't believe in religion. I say, well, if there's an argument, change the subject. I believe in the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the two things, if you look at in America today, that have changed our culture, changed our children, changed things within the churches, changed people's view of things in the churches, were done not through a representative government by a judicial dictatorship, which we live in. The first one was the Warren Court in 1963, when they decided that, you know, it was freedom from religion, not of religion. And they took school prayer out and the Ten Commandments because they knew, the godless knew, that if, if there were no moral absolutes, you could indoctrinate the children to believe truth is whatever they want it to be. Yeah. That's the first one. The second one is 1973 when they legalized murder, Roe versus Wade. And those were both done by nine people that were unelected by the people. So you're equating the similarities between the Jewish establishment and Christianity in the first century to the church and the political structure today. Absolutely. But, But you're not, because your argument is that the dissimilarities are significant and the similarities are, if I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, I'm not comparing the, the political system. Okay. But you see, if you but I don't think that there's that tension, and and there's not that tension. There's not that. Um, I want to use another word besides persecution. There's not. It's not illegal. There's not this infighting. There's not. I don't. I don't see that type of tension between um, the religious po- components of Christianity 
interesting because uh, so we have there's there's a couple of differing points of view which is great I love that um, so now in thinking about the similarities um, I could I could um, we could we could bring up Lois again if we wanted to uh, because because all of a sudden now we have to enter into the discussion um, the equation of how we deal with apologetics in the church because there would be some you discounted that and I respect that. Um, that that's that's not mainstream Christianity, and so and it's not it's not even Christianity, and so but given that within the church today you see those those religious systems that we would consider are not are not Christian, okay, um, would argue uh, something very different than that, obviously, and so within the area of apologetics is that you know. Is that the similarity with the first century? Is there infighting there? Well, of course there is. Of course there is infighting. But you're suggesting that they're not Christians anyway. So that's not the church. No, I'm Just like the pagans were not... You mean comparing it to like a historical component? Yeah, yeah. Trying to compare the similarities between the first and the, and the 21st century within the church. So all I, that's why. I, but but you can't put yeah. distances within the church. I mean, are you are you equating the Sanhedrin as part of the church, first century church? I don't think that is part of the church. No, what I'm saying is is that there was a there was there was an explosion because Christianity came head to head with religion, and within this within the religion of the day, that was Judaism. Within the religion of the day, there was power and authority and politics. And within Christianity that had this conflict with religion, there was, there was power, all right, but not man power. There was Holy Spirit power and there was truth. And, so all, and what I'm suggesting is, is that within the context of that, that um, thought, we have a lot of similarities today because there is conflict. If there weren't conflict, there wouldn't be persecution. If there weren't conflicts that have similarities, I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying that there are similarities that we have to be careful of because the whole point is that when we see that they, they were furious in verse 33, when they heard all of these things that Peter was saying, they were furious. And we can see that within the context of how people deal with one another within quote-unquote Christendom with just their differences. And then if you take it to the extreme and you look at the cults and the other world religions that don't get along, and then if you really take it to the next level and you in, include the just the political, secular political system within just the country, because that's what we're familiar with. None of us are familiar with really what's going on in Syria, except for what we read in the paper, right? But we're really familiar with what's going on in this country because that's what affects us. So we're really affected by what happens in our own world, right? That that touches us. And so the political system today uh, is... There are some real similarities between what's happening politically in our culture today and what's happening in the church today because the secular um, political system is infiltrating the church today and it's it's almost that it's been 
it's, it's almost having the opposite effect that was happening here. What's happening here is Christianity was affecting the political, the geopolitical system in the church and destroying it because it was calling it out for what it is. And now all of a sudden it's like it's the other way around in, in our culture. Not extreme, but it's, it's the other way around because the political system has and the, and the culture has infiltrated the church. And now all of a sudden, I can assure you that this is a... Uh, this church, this particular church that we're in right now, not the building, but the people here, um, you know, we're, this is not a popular thing anymore to hold to the truth, right? Yeah. Within Christendom, it's the minority position. Mm-hmm. It is not the majority position. Yeah. That's all I'm getting at is, is in terms of the similarities. There are tremendous differences. But if we understand what was happening historically in the first century in terms of the history of our church and we see the power of the Spirit of God working in the lives of these people and what God was doing at that time, uh, now, now I'll be a commentator for just a second. You see, that same power is still available if God's people will just appropriate it and use it boldly like they were doing in the first century. There's no difference there. Do you see there is no boldness? Today, in the in American Christian Church, I don't pockets. I don't. Yeah, there are pockets. I think the, I think the church has been muted because of the Johnson Amendment. They're afraid of losing their their tax exempt status. And I sure. think a lot of ministers won't speak out about it because it will offend some of the people that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I don't see that boldness. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because... I'm not talking about our church. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's a good point because you, you can make the point because now, now, now personalize it. See, I love that because what was, what was Peter and John doing here? What were all these people that were going to the temple doing? There was a boldness and the Spirit was... I mean, they were, they were emboldened by the Spirit. They had prayed for that boldness. They were given that boldness because the, the, the answer to their prayer was, yes, here it is. Fully engaged, the, the the fullness of the of the spirit that is in you, and they just went. They kept going back to the temple, back to the temple. They were told not to. They knew it could cost them their life. And what did they do? Boldly, they just went back and spoke the truth, standing in front of the Sanhedrin. Could cost them their life, but they were just obedient, and they went back and they spoke the truth. And they didn't scream at them, yell at them, threaten them. They didn't. Well, they were threatened, but for an entirely different reason. But the church didn't threaten the religious people. All they did was go and speak the truth. And so then, what happened? They, they, the tables turned on the religious political faction of the day within within uh, Judaism because they were they were losing their they were losing their power. And in verse 34, it says, but, which always means that something is happening a little differently than what we were just told. That's what but always means, right? And and so it says that then there was this Pharisee. What do we know about this Pharisee named Gamaliel? Yeah, and we're told something right. We're told something about him as a person right here in this passage. He was honored by all the people. This guy was a, he was a moderate. <laughs> he drove his truck right down the center lane here, this guy. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He was a, he was a peacemaker, wasn't he? Uh, and he was a learned guy and he was a peacemaker and 
and, uh, and he had enough respect that they listened to him. Not too far to the left, not too far to the right. He was right down the center. Right, lukewarm. And he was just a <laughs> lukewarm guy, but he had something pretty profound to say, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And so, what did he tell the What did he tell the Sanhedrin? Back off! <laughs> Back off! The thing will fall apart, man. If it's not of God, it's it's doomed. It's totally doomed if it's not of God. But there's another but. What's going to happen if it isn't? You can't stop it. Pretty sage advice. You can't stop it. I love that. But he was pretty convinced he gave him a couple of examples. He was trying to allay their fears because he gave him a couple of examples of people that had a following that fizzled out. Yeah, so was he kicking the can down the road or was he giving sage advice? What was he doing? Okay, so there was some sage advice. Hmm. Was there an element of kicking the can down the road? He, he was giving them a warning, a real strong warning. Okay. Well, he was telling them that if they are of God, you need to leave them alone because you're going to be fighting God instead of them. Hmm. Instead of man, it's going to be a God thing. Supposedly, See, they had a, oh. supposedly they are men of God, the Sanhedrin, and so why fight against God? Mm. Boy, there's a lot going on here. That's a great observation. Supposedly they were men of God. Oh boy, that's a great thing to be thinking about as a church leader, isn't it? <laughs> supposedly they were men of God. What was their motivation? See, they had a math problem. <laughs> Essentially, that's what it was. The problem is just math. It's all mathematical. Wait a minute. We killed Jesus, and now there's thousands of them. Yeah. If we kill these 12 guys, yeah. I mean, do the math. Get your calculator out. <laughs> it's a, a multi... That's <laughs> 144,000, right? No, but I mean, seriously, they had to have been thinking this. They're shaking in their, they're, they're, they're shaking in their sandals here, I'm sure. Because they're trying to figure out that this is a math problem. If, if we kill anybody, are you kidding me? We could be fighting against God if we're listening to Gamaliel here? Fighting against God? You know, I just wonder if they were ever even thinking mm-hmm. that they were supposed to be with God. <laughs> no, they've gone too far down the road. They've gone too far, you know, making money with the power, all of that. All of that. It's, by this point, the damage had been done. Great observation. And, and what was the damage? They crucified Jesus, you see. And all that Peter and John had been trying to tell them is that, you know, these, you know those guys that you should have known about because you're religious men? They're called Remember prophets. Remember the prophets that said that this was all going to happen and you should know full well. Have you read Isaiah lately, guys? You know? I mean, all we're telling you that is this is the fulfillment of what you should already know. And you, then you killed Jesus. Don't you, don't you get it? But you're right. They were so far gone in their political power system. They were so 
filthy rich. I'm so reminded of, of the, the people that profess to be like this, that are, there's nothing wrong with wealth, so I want to be very careful how I say this, but there are whole religious systems where it's all about having followers and wealth and power and because that's what it is. You see, because religion is a really big business. It was then and it is now. The opiate of the people. And when you get them under control, man, everything is great until it isn't. Right? Until it isn't. And so they flogged them. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. They flogged them. That's all they could do and they let them go. What's a flogging? Well, it's more than a slap on the hand. I mean, in in the context of killing them, it's a slap on the hand. But what's literally what's a flogging? Okay. They flog Jesus. It's really interesting because we, we're not sure, we're not told because the flogging word is the same word that was used for the, the treatment that they gave Jesus. But but they but so we don't really know because sometimes you were flogged not not the full thirty nine times not to within one of your death. Sometimes you were you were flogged where your skin was laid open and that's kind of what the word means. So uh, they took a pretty good beating here. Um, and what did they do? They were rejoicing for the suffering that they went through for Jesus' name. The same name that the Sanhedrin couldn't even say. Well, they were told again not to do it, not to mention it. Wow. And that's the first thing they did. <laughs> Out of obedience. There's, the power here is, is incredible. The power of the Spirit and the boldness, and their 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 obedience, and 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 look at their attitude. They're rejoicing over being flogged because the word of God is going forth, and they're in the will of God. And so, incredible things are happening because verse forty-two says, "Day after day in the temple courts." You see, they went day. After day, after going through all of this, I have to ask myself a question, you know, because I, I, I put this in the context of what of even what my role is in, in a little church. And I'm thinking, OK, church leader, what, you know, I mean, who are you really? I mean, what is your what, where what's the depth of your faith? If you were in a situation where I was hypothetical, but I look at this and I, I find it encouraging on the one hand and a little bit intimidating on the other hand. You know, would I be able to walk out of this door, be flogged, and walk right back in here tomorrow night and teach the Word of God? Yeah. But you know, they you know? were talking amongst themselves and discussing what the Sanhedrin had done and what the Sanhedrin had told them. And they probably gave each other <coughs> to, 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 to
They're troubled by this. We must be doing something right. <laughs> well, they were certainly in the will of God. There's no question about that. And they were totally obedient. And they were they were they had access to because they had done what we all should be doing, which is appropriating the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives at all times. I don't see a second that goes by here where we're not it's not described for us that these people were all in. And this is the definition of all in because they didn't care the consequences. They didn't care. They trusted God regardless, even after being flogged and they could have been killed. And so all they did was never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news. They went right back to the scene of the crime. They went there every single day. They were in the temple courts and and it even says then they started making house calls. They started going house to house. Now they're all out telling people about the good news house to house because the people, because now all of a sudden it wasn't about just the Jews coming for prayer time at the temple. Now it's about everybody else. Significant. It's a significant turn of events here all of a sudden to be in, in God's will because you see the politics of religion was all about control and they had broken those walls down. This is the first time now that the walls are completely broken down and the Sanhedrin is freaking out because they don't know what to do about it. And so if you believe, and here's what was going on, even in the temple, I believe that it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think we can, we can read, not into, but we can read out of the text here that because there was so much control over the lives of these people and, the, and, 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 and if you want to transfer that into the, 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 the current time, if you're involved in anything that is associated with teaching anything other than the truth, where there is somebody that is in control or some group that is in control, where they, they make you believe that, 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 that your eternal destiny is in their hands, which is very common today in a lot of systems, religious systems especially, if you're involved in any of those things or you know anybody who is, they can get you to believe almost anything. And they can get you to do almost anything. Can't they? Power and control. And it, could, it reminds me of it reminds me of every cult. Okay? Um, you know, the little ones like the Jim Joneses of the world that took people to Guyana and made them all drink cyanide. It reminds me of the David Koresh's that were in Waco, Texas and, and had a very small group. And he was just a crackpot, but he had a very small group and had those people completely buffooned. They, were, they, they believed that this man was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, they, and they all went to their death. And it's, and it's no different with the Joseph Smiths of the world or the, or the Charles Taze Russells of the world that, that, that came out of Christianity. They came out of the Millerite movement in the 1700s and, and they started sects of Christianity that had, and it was all about control. If they could, or L. Ron Hubbard, start a religion, get rich. That's exactly what he did. And so all of these people, September 11th, there's a whole other gigantic world religion. Some, oh, that they, they believed that the jihadists were, what did the jihadists believe? Why did those people fly airplanes into the World Trade Center in the United States of America? They were hoping to bring in their Messiah in the Muslim faith. It's the same. It's the politics of religion equals control. And so, man, you can get people to believe anything you want them to believe if you can get them to believe that their eternal destiny is in your hands. 
powerful. And I'm not suggesting that the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin were getting their, these Jews to believe that their eternal destiny was in their hands. I'm just suggesting that it was awfully close. And the Christians came with an entirely, radically different message. And they had credibility and proof. They were eyewitnesses. And so was everybody else because it said there were miraculous things happening there every day, right? It was incredibly powerful what they were seeing. The Jews were seeing it. That's why the, that's why the Sanhedrin was so freaked out because they couldn't stop it. This movement of God was not stoppable. It wasn't stoppable. Well, so, so like what happened with the Catholic Church with the priests when they had, they had the Bibles and the people didn't have the Bibles and they had that power over them? Yes. And, and, and we know, this isn't a biblical concept, but it's a principle, and we know that, that power corrupts, doesn't it? And absolute, absolute power corrupts absolutely, however that goes, right? Okay, so what did what did the early church have going for it that we're so used to? They didn't have the Bible wasn't there. What else didn't they have? Hmm, I'm just thinking through these. 30 some verses here and I was, I was thinking that well, they didn't have a church they didn't have their own church building <laughs> they were at the temple they were, they were renters <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that no they belonged there they belonged in the synagogue that's why did they belong in the synagogue because they were Jews yeah. they were Jews yes exactly they didn't have their own church, but we think that way, don't we? Oh, we don't have our own church. Do we need and our own church? Why the, that's why the Sadducees and the Sandy, they were so freaked out because they were taken, they, it was a, a grassroots movement I love inside it. the church. It was inside the church. The truth <laughs> thing. was going down. People weren't bringing vine doves and well, they're actually that's not true. Actually, they, they were at the, in the in the first church because these were all Jews. They were Jews that came to Christ, but they hadn't they hadn't broken with the sacrificial system yet because they they will, but not yet. Not yet. Not quite yet. But they were about to. But but were they freaked out because they were hearing this message of grace? Wait a minute. That that was new. Grace was new. And that the laws were now written on their hearts and not... And not the 613 laws that they had been trying to keep, which were impossible, that were just trying to show them that they were sinners. Okay? So they had no church building. They had no free speech rights. Obviously, they didn't have free speech rights. The Sanhedrin was in charge. Okay? What else didn't they have? They didn't have government rights. Because who was the government? Huh? They didn't have the pedigree they had no pedigree. They had no jurisdiction. Um, let me see. What else did I write down? They didn't. Yeah, no. Nobody had their. There was not a. There was no. There was no Pastor Peter yet. I mean, I mean, he had been given authority in some ways, but 
you know, it wasn't organized yet. There was no church structure. They didn't have, there was no due process. Um, all these thousands of people could have lost their lives because they were doing something that was, that was, that was uh, taboo at, 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 at best and, and illegal at, at worst. Um, and um, they had, uh, uh, clearly they had no resources yet. Right, they had no, they weren't, they didn't collect. It, it wasn't a big, it, not yet. They weren't organized. The structure didn't exist. And so it's like they had everything going against them. But they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't need anything else. Amen. That, and there is, we can end on that. Because that is exactly, I think, the point of what's happening here. And this movement of God. Because the next thing that happens here is that is there's this obedience and there is this power that they are fully appropriating and the, and the application to us, uh, even though it's a, a dissimilar time, uh, the, the truth is, is that there is application for us relative to the appropriation of the fullness of the Spirit that is in us. And that boldness that John said that we've lost in the church is totally available to the church. It's totally available to the church. There is enough said. It hasn't changed. And so, so what we have going for us is, you see, we have the Holy Spirit and we have the ability to appropriate the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we have the ability to be in the will of God. The question is, do we have the will to be in the will of God? As did the first church. Against all these odds, I'm so encouraged when I read what they went through and I'm so uh, my heart is so heavy when I think, gee, what could or should I be doing maybe that I'm not doing now? Huh. Maybe nothing. Maybe I'm completely in the will of God, but it's worth thinking about. For each of us, isn't it? The Holy Spirit to speak to us in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful because when we, not next week, because we won't be here next week. We'll be over there next week. Yeah, we'll, eating. Be, we'll be eating. Because <laughs> that's what the 21st century church does. I don't think it has anything to do with obedience. A lot to do with fellowship, but not much to do with obedience. But, but when we see then what happens next in terms of boldness, most of us know the story of Stephen and what happens because the next thing that they're going to do in the church, they have this next issue that they got to deal with because the church was growing so rapidly because they've hammered the Sanhedrin. The church is growing so rapidly, it becomes a mega church all of a sudden. Now they've got to get some structure in place because there's ministry opportunities that aren't being handled. And they've got to handle these ministry opportunities. All of a sudden, God starts to put some structure in the church, which is... Very interesting because we're going to see in a couple of weeks that that structure in the church even included the congregation making decisions about who was going to be their leadership. And so we see those kinds of things starting to happen. And then we see Stephen along with a whole group of other men that are called into service, some of whom we never hear about again. And a couple of them that we hear a lot about again. And including Stephen who really pays the price for being really bold. And this is the beginning of the history of our church. Obedience, boldness, truth. True to the gospel in the will of God. Fully appropriating the spirit that resides in us. That's 
Awesome, isn't it? Amen is right. Amen.